And welcome in to Rush the Field. I'm Jay Binkley. We're going to talk college football for the next hour. Gary Pinkle is going to join us at uh, around 8.30 or so to talk about, well, big injury that happened. Kale Garrett, he was part of the people that recruited him. Kale wasn't there when Gary was, but uh, inspirational leader from Missouri, down for the year. Taurus Peck ended up playing the game. We'll talk to Gary Pinkle about football injuries Coming up at about 8.30 in the Missouri, resurgent Missouri Tigers. At 8.15, we'll talk to John Kurtz in Manhattan about the Kansas State Wildcats. And we'll conclude tonight with Josh Klingler, sideline announcer for the Kansas Jayhawks. As Kansas made a change this week. Don't know if you're aware of this, but uh, this is stuff that happened with Beatty. And this is stuff that happened with Charlie Weiss. This is stuff that you don't like to see happening midway through the season. But they switched offensive coordinators. Les Miles uh, took Les Koenig uh, away from being the offensive coordinator. Brent Deerman been promoted to fill the role. Now, here's the thing about Brent. Maybe I'm higher on him than everybody else, only because I've read his press clippings. But I like young minds. Keep this in mind. He was at his NAIA school, head coach for one year last year before this. One season is alma mater. Was an NAI school, Bethel University. Guided the uh, Wildcats to its best season in school history. 10-0 regular season mark. They actually lost to Baker in the playoffs. Number three ranking while averaging 540 yards in a nation's best 55 points per game. The highest scoring offense, not in the NAIA, but all of college football. He's been in Division II at Arkansas Tech. He's even been on Gus Malzahn's staff down at Auburn. University probably learning all about that buck sweep that Auburn tries to run. So Kansas makes a change. They lose to uh, Oklahoma this past weekend. 45 to 20 is the up and down. Kansas football schedule rolls around. They find themselves two and four now after three straight losses. They never parlayed anything after that Boston College win. 48 to 24. I really thought they were going to beat West Virginia back in Lawrence. Not a big fan of West Virginia this year. A team that was, what, picked eighth in the Big 12? Lost that one by five at home. They go on the road and pounded by TCU 51-14 before losing 45-20 to to Oklahoma, a game in which they actually had a lead in. It was 7 to nothing, And then Oklahoma turned on the Jets. But Kansas has these game one, games once in a while. I was talking to somebody right during the game and said, you know what, Kansas will, will step up and beat somebody they're not supposed to beat. But Kansas, with the bye week, their next game, at Texas, 6 o'clock in two weeks. So the bye week this week, get used to new offensive coordinator, and they'll play at uh, Texas in two weeks. Kansas State, by the way, has the bye week as well. Disappointing loss to for Kansas State this past weekend, 31-12 to uh, to Baylor. They have a bye week before they play Alex Delton and TCU. Remember, Alex Delton was the former quarterback of Kansas State University. He's now at TCU, and they're having some quarterback issues. Max Duggan, their true freshman, kind of took over that role. And Alex Delton's been the backup that is sprinkled in once in a while to play. But, of course, he'll be back in Manhattan with TCU to play Kansas State on the 19th at 1.30 in the afternoon. The Baylor game was a game that I was actually, and keep in mind, Kansas State picked ninth in the Big 12. But that's what Kansas State does. They don't get much run at all. But they played a bunch of teams with hardly any wins. Baylor did. They built their schedule up against Stephen F. Austin, University of Texas, San Antonio. They beat uh, a Rice team 
that uh, still hasn't won a game yet this year when they played them. They beat Iowa State by two points. I'm like, all right, this team might have something. But they go to Manhattan and absolutely roll the Wildcats. They had 15 tackles for loss in that game. Kansas State, with that returning offensive line, really surprised at how that offensive line played last week. And Baylor ended up with 15 tackles for loss, six sacks, three forced fumbles. going to be tough to beat a team when all this stuff happens at Kansas State. The running game just wasn't the same. In about 10 minutes, we'll talk to John Kurtz from K-Man in Manhattan about what happened to Kansas State as they sit there on a bye week to get themselves ready for TCU that's coming up. Kansas State can still become bowl eligible, 3-2. and two. Getting to a bowl would be big for Kansas State. And again, they go, they go a transfer route with the running game. With North Carolina, Ball State, Louisville, running backs they brought in. Trotter is the only junior of the bunch they brought in from Louisville. Still has another year with Kansas State. And, of course, Skylar Thompson. Uh, I think he's at he finally ha- doesn't have to look over his shoulder and be a fine uh, quarterback for Kansas State. But they have some true freshman running backs that have been coming in and playing well for that team. As far as the Missouri Tigers, once again, an impressive role. Julio, they gave up 100, or excuse me, 297 yards rushing to Wyoming in week one. Those are always tough games. And I've talked to Coach Pinkle about this as he joins us each and every week. When you play a team and that's their Super Bowl, Wyoming's colors are yellow and brown. So they had, you know, half the section in brown, yellow. They were fired up about this game. It's an SEC opponent coming in. Missouri looked great, too, by the way. Up 14-0 in that game. Manhandled. Wyoming could not complete a forward pass. They gave up 297 yards rushing in that game. Then Missouri plays West Virginia, not very good. SEMO, Southeast Missouri State, so you go FCS. Then South Carolina, and they only gave up 86 total yards rushing between those three games. They only gave up 60 yards rushing to Troy. They only gave up 16 to South Carolina. Kel Garrett, a big difference in that game. And he tore his pack. Not only that, Kill Garrett, the pride of Kearney, Missouri, Kearney High School, had gone three straight games with a touchdown. Three straight games for a linebacker scoring a touchdown. Unbelievable stuff. Kill Garrett went absolutely nuts. Gone for the year. And then there was the scare with Kelly Bryant. I don't know if you saw the video clip of it, but it looked really bad. I mean, it was a cheap shot to Kelly Bryant where he got rolled up on in that game. And that was uh, not good to see. That happened that game at Missouri, uh, winner over Troy. Uh, SEC schedule had Troy kind of planted between South Carolina. They are the only local team in action this weekend. They'll face Ole Miss at 6 o'clock on SEC Network. The rest of the games, Vanderbilt, Kentucky, Georgia, Florida, Tennessee, then Arkansas, the remaining schedule for the Missouri Tigers. So all SEC the way out, and hopefully, you know, they get that bowl ban lifted. That's what we're still waiting for, for the University of Missouri. Uh, the college playoff rankings don't come out until the 5th. Someone on the text line asked me who I think is going to win the national title. Let me put it this way. The playoff picture right now, I'd have Bama. No doubt about it. Tua leads the nation in touchdown passes. It's like fourth in yardage. And he gets taken out in the fourth quarter because Alabama's always up by 28 points. Alabama, to me, the best team in the country. Of course, I thought this last year, but then here comes Clemson. I don't think Clemson's near as good as they were last year. Trevor Lawrence, I had him like top of my Heisman list, the quarterback there at Clemson, true sophomore now. They get by North Carolina by one point. 
That's what Clemson does. They have those scary games from time to time. They regroup around the playoffs. Ohio State looks fantastic with Justin Fields as quarterback. I would have them in. And then Oklahoma, the Sooners. Outside looking in, LSU-Florida, which plays this weekend, by the way, going to be a fantastic game. Florida, they don't have the offense. Florida defense, no joke, top five in the country, number one in the SEC. LSU is the highest-scoring team in the country, 54.6 points for game. Joe Burrow is now a Heisman candidate, their quarterback. that transferred from Ohio State. The winner of the um, Ohio State-Wisconsin game, um, I think will be in the Big Ten title game. They're in the, so they, they they will probably see each other again. They're in separate divisions. They'll probably see each other uh, later on when it gets in. The winner of Bama and Georgia could win. This could be a year where if Bama loses, they still find their way in the playoffs like a couple years ago when they found them way weren't in the SEC title game, still won the national title. LSU could sneak in there. But I've been very impressed. What's Wisconsin giving up, like 29 points this year? Like, they look really, really good this year, Wisconsin does, with that team. But uh, right now, I think Bama, a clear, uh, a clear shot at the national title. Ohio State, Oklahoma, we could be in four really good college football playoffs. The key is, can Oklahoma finally play a little defense when they get to the playoffs, make the Big 12 proud once they get there? By the way, Red River shootout, well, it's the Red River showdown this weekend at the Cotton Bowl between Oklahoma and Texas. And if Lincoln Riley... The court, the coach at uh, Oklahoma, where all these NFL teams salivating on him. If he ends up going to the NFL, which a lot of people think he will, look out for Texas. That is a sleeping giant. I thought Charlie Strong was going to turn that thing around. I do believe Tom Herman will. There's so much talent in that state. They got their own network. They have no excuse. The Big 12 bows down to Texas. So we'll see what Sam Ellinger and the, uh, and by the way, Shane Bouchelle, the backup is at SMU now. SMU uh, rolling right along now. He transferred. He was behind. He and Ellinger were battling it out at Texas. So a good game in the Big 12 this weekend, even though two of the locals, KU and K-State, not playing. So you can sit around and watch the Missouri Tigers unabated if you like watching the local action. Coming up next on Rush to Field, we talk to John Kurtz from K-Man in Manhattan. Also does the podcast on the 435 Podcast Network, True to Your Colors. He's got a new one out now. Go download it. Good stuff. We talk Kansas State next. Rush the field with Jay Binkley. Welcome back to Rush the Field. Time to talk some K State football with the one and only John Kurtz, K Man and Manhattan program director. Catch him uh, Monday through Friday, four to six, on K Man, and of course he covers the Kansas State Wildcats for us and has True to Your Colors podcast on the 435 Podcast Network, which I strongly recommend. It's all K-State football, and it's really, really good. What's up, John? Hey, not too much, Jay. Good to talk to you, as always. Good to talk to you, too, John. Rough game uh, for Kansas State. Baylor was one of those teams I wasn't expecting. I didn't know what to expect. I mean, you look at their schedule. Their schedule wasn't exactly the toughest going in, although they had a win over Iowa State. Iowa State certainly proved uh, to be a really good win because of what they did to TCU this past weekend. But for Baylor, it was about uh, Matt Rule turning this program around. Not only that, but just the pressure. 15 tackles for loss, six sacks, three forced fumbles from that Baylor defense. They were all over the Kansas State offensive line. Yeah, and I think that's honestly a good place to start for where K-State's issues are and have been the last two games against Oklahoma State and Baylor. 
because it's easy, and I think a lot of the talk around here has been to pinpoint the lack of skill position talent, particularly a wide receiver with Malik Knowles battling an injury, and he only played four snaps in that game against Baylor. And, and that is true. They are, I think, under-talented at wide receiver, and they just don't have a ton of experience outside of Dalton Schoen. But really, the offensive line should be the backbone of this team. The, the five starters are all seniors. Uh, it's very veteran. They're guys that have been around for a long time and, and have a pretty good pedigree of being good offensive linemen in the Big 12, and, and stuff just is not clicking right now. I mean, Baylor absolutely lives in the backfield, and even if Skylar Thompson had receivers open a couple points, viewing it from the press box, it looked like some deep routes were about to open up, but it seemed like Skylar just never had time and was always under duress and couldn't let those routes develop. And, and then the running game. I mean, K-State, the first three weeks of the season, really relied on that running game, and that's what you think of with this Courtney Messingham offense at North Dakota State, what they did. They really controlled things on the ground, and it's just been off. A uh, crazy stat is that K-State actually was pretty good on first down throughout the game, but on second down, second and short, in the first half in particular when K-State really struggled and fell behind, they had second and short five times, and so second and short is second and five or less, and four of those five plays went for negative yardage. So they just keep getting set back into third and long, and they can't maintain a drive that way. With the lack of explosion that they have on offense, they really need to stay on schedule. And the offensive line right now is just not consistent enough to keep them on schedule, and that really was a problem. I think Baylor's defensive front is pretty good. You don't think about Baylor being a team relying on defense, but Matt Rule has really made that a much more balanced team than what they've been in the past. And I think in the second half, case they did at least make some progress offensively and the receivers played a little bit better, but they're going to have trouble against TCU coming up next week if the offensive line continues to play the way that it has. I think that's actually the group that right now has the most on its plate in terms of needing to improve for this team to get back to winning. What did you make of the uh, run selection for Kansas State with some of the players? Uh, Gilbert, 18 carries, 94 yards. But then uh, Irvin comes in. The freshman ends up getting five carries in this game. Um, is he starting to get in the trust level of uh, of Chris Kleiman where we might see him more in the future? Yes, he is. And it, it's it's interesting you bring that up because that's been one of the, the talking points of one thing that gives me hope really for the rest of the season with the offense is that they're being willing to play some of these younger freshmen to get them game reps and hopefully accelerate their development, which I think can help in the back half of the season and then obviously on into next year and beyond. At running back, they are shorthanded a bit now because Jordan Brown, who had been one of the three main running backs K-State used at the beginning of the year, the North Carolina grad transfer, he is injured and uh, is going to be out for a couple of weeks, it sounds like. And actually, there might be an outside chance that because he's played only four games, he becomes a redshirt candidate. That's something that has been at least floated. Um, I don't know if that'll come to fruition, but that's opened the door for Joe Irvin. Uh, to get in there. And he's the freshman running back. They have four on the roster that came in. He's the true freshman running back that I'd say we've heard the most about and definitely does bring some explosion. You can see it. I mean, he is he is a shifty guy, and he brings a different element than what really James Gilbert and Harry Trotter do, who are now the other two running backs that have played quite a bit. So between Joe Irvin and then Chris Heron at receiver, who's an interesting story, recruited as a quarterback to play for Bill Snyder, comes in, gets moved to receiver under Chris Kleiman after sticking with his, his scholarship here to K-State. He played uh, eight snaps out on the field at receiver, and he's another one that they want to get developed because he has the athleticism, at least, to get open. And if they can get him at least somewhat up to speed on the offense, 
that's going to help out a bunch. And then throw in Josh Youngblood, another true freshman who's played more throughout the year, and he played 53 snaps in the game on Saturday. He's another guy that has more game-breaking potential than some of the others on the offense. So it seems like Chris Kleiman has emphasized, hey, this week during the bye, we're going to get more of those players playing time against the ones in practice to try and get them ready to go, and we will rely on them more throughout the year. So I think you're going to see more of the younger playmakers like Joe Irvin throughout the season as his coaching staff has kind of realized, all right, we really do need to, if we're going to sacrifice some experience, we have to just get some playmaking ability on the field. Looking forward, I know it's a bye week, but then the TCU comes up, and I guess the storyline would have been bigger had Alex Delton you know, started to get a little more playing time at only four or five um, for two yards against Iowa State. They've clearly gone to the freshman Max Duggan, but uh, that would have been a nice little storyline with TCU and Kansas State. I'll be curious to see how much he has actually used because Duggan really has not been great. I was just looking at his pro football focus grade the other day, and I mean, he's in the bottom 20 or 30 in the country, so he's He's not exactly setting the world on fire, but I think for TCU, that's more of a long-term play to, again, just give him game reps and try and accelerate his development there. But maybe the strategy for Gary Patterson is to use Alex Delton some more based on what he's seen from this this K-State defense. The K-State defense has given up a lot of chunk run plays, explosive run plays. That's been the Achilles heel of the defense so far this year, and that's somewhere where you would look at it and say Alex Delton could certainly produce that. So, there might be some of that uh, happening there. I, I think, you know, the Delton storyline, I I don't think there's a whole lot in the way of hard feelings, at least from the K-State side of things. I don't really even sense that much from the Alex Delton side of things because with the coaching change, it, it just sort of made all of that a pretty natural break. And, and Delton originally was going to go to UTEP and play for Dana Dimmel, who was K-State's offensive coordinator for a while, but left to go take a head coaching job there two years ago. Uh, so I think at that time it was, okay, I want to go somewhere where I can make sure I can play. I don't want to do this quarterback yo-yo thing again with Skylar Thompson, even if it's a new coaching staff. And then the opportunity at TCU wound up presenting itself, and he's kind of found himself in the same situation there. But, you know, I certainly don't wish any ill will toward Alex Delton. I think he, he was a very stand-up guy when he was here. He was great with the media, always owned up to things. Um, I think he's a really sharp kid, and I certainly hope the best for him at at TCU, but it does seem like right now TCU is pretty locked in on making Doug in the guy because of his potential for the future. Is this team geared? I mean, it's going to take a while. I mean, clearly, you know, when a new coach comes in, it's going to take a while. Kansas State got off to that really hot start, and I mean, this t- very well easily could still be a bowl team this year. Is there a lot of thought on uh, how big that bowl game would make for going into next year when uh, Kleiman's in year number two? Yeah, I think more so than than the bowl game specifically, and this is going to sound a little bit crazy because uh, it's basically what Bill Snyder's philosophy was the whole time and almost everything else is new, but I think the important part would be getting some extra practice time and getting some extra reps for a very young roster. K-State's in a weird situation with the, the roster because they do not have very many sophomores or juniors, especially sophomores. It's a very small sophomore class, so they have a lot of seniors and they have a lot of freshmen and they're going to have to find a way over the next two years to sort of fill in those gaps, and they're probably going to be very, very young um, for the next year or two because of that. And so I think if you are a younger team, it's more valuable to be able to get that extra month worth of practice leading up to a bowl game. And I think the bowl game probably helps on on the recruiting front just to be able to hold something more tangible up and say, hey, look, we came in year one, 
wasn't a great situation. We did get to a bowl game, and then the, the practice time is really what's going to help out the current kids on K-State's roster. I think it's very, very important for both of those reasons. In fact, right now, you talk to the recruiting guys, K-State Online does a great job reporting on this, but a lot of recruiting momentum right now for K-State on, on that trail, both in 2020 and 2021. And I think it's pretty imperative to at least be at that level if you can get to six wins to help continue to push that along and therefore keep the ball rolling um, after all the momentum that was there from a 3-0 and start this year. So I think it's pretty important. I still think six wins is a definite possibility. I don't think K-State is as bad as they've looked the last two weeks, just like they were not as good as they looked the first three weeks. But, yeah, you hit on something key there. John Kurtz, follow him on Twitter, at JL Kurtz. Also listen to True to Your Colors podcast on the 435 Podcast Network, program director, K-Man in Manhattan. Thanks, John. Hey, always a good time, Jay. Thanks. John Kurtz, K-Man in Manhattan at 435 uh, Podcast Network, True to Your Colors. Definitely worth something to watch. But, yes, Kansas State goes down to Mississippi State, wins 31-24. to then a loss at Oklahoma State, 26-13. to I could stomach that one. Oklahoma State is the leading rusher in the nation, Chuba Hubbard. But then the loss of Baylor at home. Baylor's a team you could beat. Now, Matt Rule's doing a good job at Baylor because Baylor, that place was an absolute mess. But they're back now, a little bit different than when it was with Art Bryles as far as some of the talent, the wide receiving talent. But a solid football team, but 15 tackles for losses. Six sacks, three forced fumbles. By the Baylor Bears. You're not going to win when you give up that much on your offensive line. Skylar Thompson had no time whatsoever to throw the football. So a bye week for Kansas State. They'll face TCU at home. And I do feel that they'll beat TCU. Just like I felt Iowa State would plant one on TCU. I'm not buying TCU the way they beat Kansas. I think they're a little bit down right now. But we talked to Gary Pinkle coming up next on Rush the Field. Rush the Field with Jay Binkley. Welcome back to Rush to Field, as we always do each and every week. We talk to the uh, former all-time winningest leader at the University of Missouri and Toledo, and of course uh, has a book out as well, The 100-Yard Journey, that I've been telling you guys about with Dave Matter, the uh, the uh, forward by uh, the great Nick Saban. You can buy it at Amazon.com, BarnesandNoble.com, etc. Coach, uh, good evening. Good evening. Coach, uh, Missouri on quite a roll, and I know we talked about it last week, talking about this rush defense. You know, he got 297 yards against Wyoming and just 147 yards since. That's a it's a, it's a major difference to uh, string together four games uh, well under what you give up in game one. Yeah, you know, I, I, really, I really, you know, you have to look in numbers. You know, numbers uh, are important. You, as a coach, you have to. You have to look at, uh, you know, you have to really look through the numbers of how it assists you. Or what, what, what does it tell you? And uh, certainly we've improved. There's no question about that. And that's uh, we're going to test it this week, probably more so than an athletic quarterback. They, they, that's what they do. They like to run the ball. We've been even really improving, uh, improving a lot on our defensive uh, uh, stop the run and, uh, and playing really good defense overall. So but every day week's a different challenge. And, uh, you know, this will be a different challenge this week also because our best defensive player yeah. uh, is uh, is out for the season, unfortunately. Yeah, I was going to talk about that, Coach. And uh, Kel Garrett's a guy that I covered a lot in high school at Kearney. And every single week uh, that we did his game, and you can almost call his name every play uh, for making a tackle. I mean, that's kind of the hard-nosed football player he was with the, with Greg Jones there. 
as the head coach. And, Coach, I mean, this guy was on such a string. I mean, three straight games with the defensive touchdown. Uh, that's incredibly difficult to do considering the position he plays. And then he gets hurt and still played 10 or 15 plays after getting hurt. I think that shows a lot about his character. Well, I, I hear nothing. I hear this last three years it's been like this. You know, we, uh, uh, you know, we evaluated and recruited him, and uh, eventually they made a decision to go on him. Uh, and I mean, my goodness, uh, what a great player! And, and you hear so many things off the field about him. You know, he's, he's a he's a huge leader of the team, not only the defense. Um, he's a great kid, remarkable competitor. You know, like you said, he just. Uh, He's doing things, and he's he's doing things, you know, playing, play out, the game in, game out. It just uh, you just kind of shake your head a little bit. But uh, anyway, so you know, dealing with stuff like this, you know, Jerry Macklin you had you had a knee surgery uh, his freshman year, and I you know had that lot lots you know in the you know, thirty nine year college coaching, I've been associated with quite a few times with with uh, really great players who get hurt and. That approach you take is a two-way thing. Not, not number one, console and you feel and you really are sympathetic to, to uh, Garrett, for example, Kalen. And you know, you just you worked his whole, you know, he's worked so hard, and you know, you just got to deal with that, and that's hard. But that's where he's got a lot of teammates, a lot of friends. You know, they're all family. They're all going to be around him and taking care of him, helping him. But then there's a switch that has to work, work with Flip, and, then, and I'm sure. Uh, Barry, Coach Odom's, you know, saying, "Okay, now, Cal, I'm, I'm going to need you to play now." And, and he's going to Cal's going to look at him like, what, "What do you mean?" Well, this team is going to be defense is going to be out there saying, "We don't have our best player," and so I need you um, to go out and be remarkably positive. You know, you got to we tell, tell the rest of the defense every guy played two percent better than what he's played thus far. So we're going to we're going to have ten guys play at a different level than they played, and then uh, his backup's going to go in and. He's just got to become a coach almost. He's got to be really um, – we had a guy named Tick Brown that played safety for us, a mm-hmm. great player. Uh, he got hurt. And his leadership the last four or five games after he got hurt, he was 2003 um, or 13. I'm not sure which which is. But anyway, but the point is is that he, he was just, just – his leadership on the sidelines and leadership with his teammates was huge for them to kind of, you know, get through it and get better and uh, – he made a significant difference. Yeah, we'll do the same thing. I mean, well, you know, what a season he was having, Coach. A third in the SEC in tackles. And, you know, it's one of those unfortunate things, too, Coach. You know, it happened in game five. You know, this happens yeah. in game four. You could technically redshirt him unless, you know, another level calls. But you could have redshirted him, and he played the the next year. That's just, you know, part of the uh, the unfortunate part of this business. You have this redshirt rule, and it happens in game five. That's what I really, really hated. Well, you have standards. You know, you have to have them. You have to. You know, it's got to be. You got to be a point where you have to kind of say you're halfway through the season. But I really think he's going to play the first half, and you know, it was courage to continue to play for his team. Uh, they might be able to appeal that. There's an appeal process. Yeah. And uh, they certainly might be able to get him to do that if he wants to. I don't know. Maybe it's like the NFL too. Sure. I'm not sure where he is with all that stuff. But uh, anyway, great kid, great player, great leader, and he'll continue to lead. Maybe even at a higher level because his team needs him in a different way now. Yeah, I don't tweet a whole bunch during games because you never know what you put out there and you don't want to deal with the reaction and all that. But I, 
I think it was very succinct. It was just, wow, kill Garrett. I mean, when he scored that touchdown, you know, it's just succinct. I mean, I was just blown away with just how good this kid has been playing. And, man, I really, really hated to see that. And I also hated to see what happened to Kelly Bryant. I'm glad that uh, it looks like he's going to be okay. That uh, that replay on that thing, when you watch that, it was like, I'm shocked that he, you know, I, I'm, sho- I'm shocked and very hopeful and very thankful this guy can still play football. Yeah, I, I was really concerned too. He's a great kid, and he's done a lot of great things. And um, but you know, he's okay. You know, I, I, he's probably going to wear a knee brace on that now. I made my quarterbacks wear knee braces all the time, just because in the NFL they do too. Because you you know you get, you can get rolled up on at any time at that position. So um, I'm sure he's going to have a knee brace on. Uh, and uh, you know, he's he's really uh, you know. I saw the same thing. I just cringe when I see that because I, I, I've seen it hurt players. I've seen other players for some reason they were okay, and thank God he's, he's going to be okay. Coach, what was your best advice to quarterbacks? You know, because a lot of times when quarterbacks get hurt, it's on something silly. You know, it's on something that you know could have been avoided. You know, maybe I never forget Jimmy Garoppolo with the Niners that got hurt. You know, running out of bounds against the Chiefs and put him out for the year. And you know, quarterbacks you know get hit by somebody rolling up in the pocket. You know, what was your best advice to him? Because a lot of times the hits come in the most unusual ways. Was it keeping the feet moving, keeping your head on a swivel? You know, I know they want to look downfield at the the completion and where the ball went, but, you know, how much were you telling them, hey, man, you still got to look on the ground and see where this uh, defender might be? Well, you know, it's really hard to do that. You know, you, you, that's why wearing knee braces, I think, helps. Braces are better than they've ever been as far as the way they're designed. Uh, and so I think that's one thing that really helps them. Most offensive linemen, every offensive lineman has them. Well, because they get rolled on by defensive linemen also. And so that's that's the same. Those, those knee braces have saved a lot of knees over the years. But, you, you know, you you got to feel it. You know, I think there's a sense of feel when you're in the pocket, you know, and you, you got to be in the right spot in the pocket. you got to be able to step up and do things like that because it helps your offensive line. Uh, but at the end of the day, it's, you know, it's you, your instincts just got to, you just got to go. You can't be thinking about getting hurt. You can't think, be thinking about getting rolled. You just can't, you can't go there. you got to do everything in your, in your way to be dressed the proper way, fundamentally doing things the right way. But uh, you become a robot if you if you thought and analyzed and, and we'll worry about everything around you. Coach, uh, weird schedule in, in the fact that Missouri uh, gets five home games in a row before three straight on the road again in the SEC. But at least I guess the first two conference games, you know, played in Columbia with South Carolina two weeks ago, and then Ole Miss this week. Um, what would you think about that? Would you want five games at home in a row, or would you want to sprinkle them out a little bit? Uh, you know, it just depends upon, you know, your away games and how you contract them. Sometimes you can't set it perfect. It's a pretty doggone good schedule. I mean, especially the way it's playing out. You know, um, you know, we schedule generally these things years in advance. And you never know what it's going to be like, you know, five, six, seven, eight, ten years down the road. At the time, you knew it was the right thing to do for the right reasons and financially and everything else like that. But, uh, you know, it, it, it's this is what we always talk about. You know, you, ha, you have to. You know, obviously, you want to protect your home, and you want to. You know, you, you, and it comes in in the zoo, uh, well field. You know, you got to protect it, and, and you got to protect the field, and you, and you build a pride there. And hopefully, our fans have the same pride. You know, SEC fans don't care if it's raining, don't care what scores, don't care if your team's losing, they care. But, but they will, they have nothing to do with them not coming to games. And so, I think there's a fan responsibility for for home games too. 
in away games, at the end of the day, if you want to win championships, you got to win away games. So um, it's all about focus. You know, I sometimes it gets a little boring with you, I think, because of the consistency of how I, I, I talk about things. But, you know, regardless of your home or away, you got to play your best. you got to learn how to play your best game. And you can't ever go on a away game thinking, well, gosh, that's a tough place to play. But that's every, every place is, is difficult to play. It's hard to play at home. Yeah. So, what, what you, so you don't focus on that. What you do is you focus on playing your very, very best. And you don't care when you get mature enough. You don't care where you play. You don't care who you're playing. You're focusing on doing your job. And, and through all the preparation of your opponent and all those things, uh, that's all part of, of, of your preparation to play your best. And, you know, I, I think you can get carried away too much in terms of home and away games. But I think, you know, we started turning our program. Our first four years were losing, 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 losing. Their program for two winning seasons, 17 years. And we've got, we've got a lot of things to change. And we, there's a huge emphasis on winning at home. Well, we've, we've changed that over the years. And we, you know, in, you know, my last, you know, six, seven, eight years, we, you know, even more than that, we, we had really strong winning season at home. And, and thankfully we had a lot of uh, good seasons, uh, away games. But, uh, and, and the other day, you, you got to play your best and you got to be at your best no matter where you play. Coach, uh, final question for you. Talking to Gary Pinkle and, and Coach, I'm gonna. I tried to go around to the few the, the, the teams in the area going down to Kansas State or, or Missouri. I just love college football that much. I plan on going to that Florida game uh, when Missouri comes back from that road trip. Go down and see the Gators, and you know what an interesting story that is. Uh, this backup quarterback Trask starting for him never started in high school. You know, it's amazing you can find guys like that because he was behind that Derek King at Houston in high school and. You know, he's going to be down in Death Valley. I'm a college football junkie coach, so I like to sit around and watch the games. And, uh, man, I'm telling you, man, this LSU-Florida game on Saturday night, I'm looking forward to that one. I don't know if you're going to sit around and watch that one, but that uh, appears to be a pretty good game. Yeah, it's a big contest now. When you get in October, you know, a lot, a lot of the non-conference games are over with. And now now the rivals come up and play. The, you know, the, the, the games, we have she's up his record. You know, and you know the importance of winning, or the importance of getting a win, and maybe you've you had a loss. There's a lot of things happening, a lot of great games, and the LSU Florida game. I mean, she was their quarterback. Uh, you know, it's really doing outstanding. They're doing things offensively different than they've done for a long, long time. And uh, you know, and you know, Florida's that they're 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 getting better. I mean, that's a place you can recruit to without question. And he's done a really good job there. Uh, Comes from Mississippi State, so. Anyway, it's um, hold on. I don't ever make predictions. I don't ever make predictions. So uh, I made the best team win, and uh, there's certainly sometimes I want a particular team to win. You know, I'd like Florida to lose because you know we got to play them. Sure. So um, anyway, that's that's kind of uh, it's been exciting. A lot of exciting games coming up in different leagues. Certainly a bunch of them in the SEC is time to. Yeah, it's fun. This this time of year gets it gets a lot of fun. We're talking to Coach Gary Pinkle, of all time winning. Winning his coach of Mizzou in Toledo. Go check out his website, GaryPinkle.com. It'll include you all the things he's doing with his foundation, uh, the 100 yard journey link for that on there, and uh, some good things uh, coming up with coach in his GP made foundation. That is for sure. Coach, it's always great talking to you. Uh, we'll talk to you again next week. Okay, let's uh, go Tigers and go Chiefs, huh? That's right, coach. Let's do it. Okay, thanks, buddy. Bye. Thanks, coach. You know, Coach Gary Pinkle right there as he joins Rush the Field each and every week. Kansas fans, don't you worry about this. New offensive coordinator, what's Josh Klingler from Fesco in the Morning think about that decision? We find out next. Rush the Field with Jay Binkley. 
Welcome back to Rush the Field. Jay Binkley, Julio Sanchez producing. Going to talk some Kansas Jayhawks with Josh Klingler from Fesco in the morning. Beginning each day at 558. Mark Skolden, speaking of Missouri, just had Gary Pinkle on. Scores the touchdown, 14-14. Uh, Patriots-Giants, but a Missouri Tiger gets on the board. Great segue to Josh Klingler talking the University of Kansas with the Missouri Tigers scoring. What's up, Josh? Of course. <laughs> That seems like the perfect tie-in. The the perfect tie-in. Uh, and Josh, uh, did you get excited when Kansas went up seven to nothing on the Oklahoma Sooners? Yeah, I mean the first quarter and a half they played really well. I mean they 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 hung in there. They did some things to frustrate Oklahoma, and you just kind of were waiting for the onslaught to to happen. But uh, they made it really difficult on the the Sooners to score all game long. So certainly. Um, you know, I did that kind of the, the year before as well, down in Norman, a, a game they weren't supposed to be in that they were in and, and kind of got people kind of maybe questioning Oklahoma. And certainly uh, Jalen Hurts didn't feel like he, he played very well in that game. And uh, Kansas made him work for a while, and then kind of the floodgates opened and they were unable to score, you know, points really until the fourth quarter once again. So uh, not enough offense and you know, defense kind of hanging in for a while, but not enough offense. It's been kind of the same old story a little bit for Kansas. Yeah, Jalen Hurts held the 228 yards passing, two touchdowns a pick, and then 56 yards and two touchdowns on the ground. Carter Stanley for Kansas, 18 of 28, 230 yards, but three touchdowns as Kansas, you know, able to put 20 points up on Oklahoma. And Kling, as you watch this, are the Oklahoma Sooners going to have enough defense to win this conference? Yeah, that's going to be the big question. Certainly, we need a couple touchdowns in the fourth quarter. You know where they kind of where they kind of complacent. They didn't have a ton of energy. It looked like you get them the week before they face Texas. All those things factoring in. There was a weather delay. Um, you know, I, I I don't know that you know that they were completely fired up in this one. But yeah, I think it's the same old question. They thought that their defense was going to be uh, better this year, give them an opportunity to be. In. It remains to be the question. Offense has never been a problem, and they're you know across the board top offenses in a ton of categories in the NCAA. But it's, it's whether or not that defense is good enough, and that still remains to be seen. But I, giving up a couple touchdowns in the fourth um, rather than, you know, uh, scoring along the way. I don't know if Kansas is the best barometer offensively for what this uh, what their defense has. Uh, Kling, they make a change after six games. Kansas 2-4 and four, uh, record this year. They already switch offensive coordinators. Um, Les Koning let go, and uh, Brent Deerman takes over. This is, this is a guy that's been a consultant for Gus Malzahn, you know, at Auburn. That's really his only Division One experience. It was at Division Two Arkansas Tech. And then last year at NAIA Bethel, it lost to Baker in the playoffs. But he was the head coach of the highest-scoring team in the nation, regardless of NAIA, NCAA, or anything. Highest-scoring team. Kind of an odd time, I guess, for Kansas to switch offensive coordinators, unless he had a pretty big role in this offense. We just didn't know it. Yeah, it is. A, it is certainly an interesting hire because you mentioned the, the resume doesn't exactly um, say like safe hire. This seems like uh, kind of uh, uh, an experimental one, but with a lot of upside. Um, now, remember the initial pick for offensive coordinator for Les Miles was Chip Lindsey, who ended up going after two months and becoming the head coach at Troy. And then I don't know. They didn't seem to have uh, certainly a connection in terms of crossing paths. Uh, he and Les Kenning, but it seemed like that uh, that was kind of a higher and experienced offensive coordinator and see if you can mesh. And, and something uh, through the start of the season said that it wasn't going to be the case. 
Obviously, the offensive numbers haven't been great. And so now you turn it over to a guy that, again, had a, had a really high-powered offense at the NAI level, um, a guy that's a big a proponent of uh, – wrote a book, apparently, about about uh, run-pass options as a, kind of a, an offensive kind of up-and-comer. RPOs, uh, Kling, RPOs. Yeah, I know. Got a great review from Gus Malzahn, as you had mentioned, and, and maybe it just took a, a few months for, for Les Miles to know him. He was hired by the – original OC or brought in by the original OC Chip Lindsey. So I'm not sure there was any familiarity between he and Les Miles. And he's done something to impress, and, and he's going to turn over the rare stuff. We'll see where this thing goes. Very excitable guy, um, young, a lot of energy, a lot of ideas. And, uh, and certainly, you know, he's got a couple of weeks with the bye week now to, to implement his style of offense, and, and we'll see where it goes from here. Kansas could pose some problems if Puka keeps running the way he did. Six yards of carry, had his second 100-yard game. He had one at 99 yards, almost almost three 100-yard games. But Puka was outstanding. And, and Andrew Parchment, we've talked about him at wide receiver, four catches, 45 yards. But it was uh, Robinson with the two touchdowns catches for Kansas. So, you know, they do have some talent. I mean, five catches, 131 yards, two touchdowns. So, you know, sprinkled in a little bit of offensive talent for this team. And I think Carter Stanley – you know, had one of his better games. Yeah, and, and I, I did catch the, uh, the the documentary Miles to Go uh, today, the latest edition, and, and seems to be uh, an offensive quarter that might jive with his game a little bit more too. So maybe we see him take another step. He's a kid that can can move with his feet and do some things in the in the past game, and and obviously you know getting more and more uh, Puka Williams involved in the offense is going to be a, a good thing, and, and if they can get him. You know, to the outside and and a little more you know blocking for him that he doesn't have to break a ton of tackles and, and take a beating because I'm a little concerned about that. Um, he's a kid that's still not the biggest of builds, and so you don't want him getting getting roughed up. So we'll see what the, if there are new wrinkles coming out offensively or if it's uh, kind of just some tweaking of some things that they had been doing. But definitely in the Big Twelve, you need to you need to generate offense. And Kansas is nowhere near being a Big Twelve level offense, so they got to pick it up if they have uh, you know want to have a shot at winning a game or two here down the down the second half. Kansas with the bye week this week, then at Texas, followed by uh, Texas Tech, and then, of course, the Kansas State game, the Sunflower Showdown, on November 2nd. And, you know, the way Kansas State's playing, that could end up being a pretty good game um, between Kansas and Kansas State. I know this is silly, but I'm actually looking – I know it's down the line, but I'm actually looking forward to Kleiman versus Miles. I, I think that's interesting. Yeah. Yeah, yeah obviously so. it's got the great storylines, and then, yeah, we'll see – where each team was. K-State got off to a better start. We're kind of, I think, wondering exactly where they're at. But you mentioned Texas Tech and K-State. Those are two games that, you know, I had circled. Those were first-year head coaches coming into Lawrence, kind of those those best opportunity at victory type uh, type matchups. Maybe a catch Texas, a sleepy off the matchup with Oklahoma as well because they got the, uh, the Sooners coming up this weekend. And then uh, um, Kansas gets them coming off the bye, so we'll see. Yeah, they might have some look-ahead and look-back games uh, between those Two opponents, Josh Klingler from Fesco in the morning, 5.58 tomorrow morning. See you, Kling. Thanks, Big. There you go, Josh Klingler right there, sideline reporter. Now, my top three games for the weekend as we round things out. And by the way, there's some good ones. This is Grab Your Popcorn Weekend. Last weekend wasn't overly impressed. This week, I am. 11 a.m., Red River Shootout. They call it the Red River Showdown now. At the Cotton Bowl, Oklahoma and Texas. Oklahoma's sixth-ranked team in the nation. Texas, number 11. This, this is a big game for Oklahoma. Did, did, were they looking ahead to this game? 
That was the question. 11 a.m. on that one. Then Alabama, Texas A&M at 2.30. Number one versus 24. Not exactly a great game, but in my opinion, the game of the weekend. Julio. Florida, 6-0 versus number five, LSU, 5-0. Death Valley, LSU, the highest scoring team in the country. Joe Burrow continues his Heisman bid. The former Ohio State quarterback transferring to LSU. This is, I love matchups like this. Florida, top five defense in the country. Number one in the SEC. Not only that, but the quarterback got banged up a little bit. Kyle Trask. You ever heard this guy's story, Julio? This guy was a two-star recruit. Never started in high school. Never did. It's like the Matt Castle in college. You know, he didn't start. Kyle Trask was behind De'Aaron King, that quarterback that's at Houston that redshirted. We talked about that a week ago, how he played the four games in redshirted. So, interesting there. Felipe Franks, the quarterback for Florida Herb. Dan Mullen's got this team undefeated. Number five versus seven. That is on Saturday night. I can't wait for that game. College football getting into the meat and potatoes of the schedule. Huge thanks to John Kurtz from Cayman in Manhattan talking Kansas State as he does each and every week. Huge thanks to Gary Pinkle that comes on as well every week, and we talk a lot of Missouri Tigers and just football in general with him. And, of course, Josh Klingler as well with the Kansas Jayhawk report on that. I hope you enjoyed it. We do this every week, 8 to 9 on Thursdays, following the Players Only Show. Julio Sanchez, I will see you tomorrow night. Big good night. Return 6 to 9. See you guys tomorrow. Rush the field with Jay Binkley. To help men protect.